I want to continue with the message we preached. I, I preached the week before last. Um, if you didn't get a chance to listen to that message, it's called We Are Builders. And it was part one. And I basically took the first half of Nehemiah chapter four and showed you how God had laid upon Nehemiah to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem and how that's significant for us today uh, because God has called us to build his kingdom. He uses us to build his kingdom. Ultimately, God builds his kingdom, but he uses his people to do so. Amen? People that are yielded, surrendered, open and willing for God to use them. God will build his kingdom through them. And so today I'm going to continue with part two. And before we jump in, I want to pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's sharper than a double-edged sword to pierce even the hardest heart here today. God, we thank you that your word is never ending. Your word is timeless. It always returns and it always comes back and accomplishes what it was sent out to do. It never returns void. And so God, today, anoint our ears and anoint my tongue in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Quick review from last week. I gave you five points from the first nine verses of chapter four. Uh, the first point was how the enemy comes and he brings intimidation. The, the nation of Israel had been in captivity. The, the burden was kind of lifted. God laid upon Nehemiah's heart to go and rebuild the walls around Jerusalem, which were in rubble. And God laid on his heart and he asked permission of King Artaxerxes to go and do so. And so he did, he gave him permission to do so. And when the king gave Nehemiah permission to go and rebuild the walls, it created a stir in the other kings in that area and, and they instantly became Nehemiah's enemy. And so Nehemiah goes off, God sends him people to go and rebuild the walls around Jerusalem for protection, for, for purpose, for plan, for God's own plan for the nation to, to restore them and to rebuild them. It, they were rebuilding a wall, but what God was really doing is rebuilding his people. And so that's kind of the backstory. So the first thing we talked about is how the enemy is always trying to intimidate us. He's always trying to convince you that God doesn't work. That's what he's always trying to convince you. That's why when you get in those dark times where you want to quit and you want to give up and you want to surrender to the world or the, to the pressure that you're under, that's the enemy trying to convince you that God doesn't work. As Christians, we got to learn how to push through that. As Christians, we got to learn how to walk above that and even plow over that at different times. Amen? And so the enemy comes to try to intimidate us and convince us that God doesn't work. But how many of you know God always works? The second thing we learned a few weeks ago was that Nehemiah took a stand. As all great leaders do, great leaders take a stand. They lead by example. What makes a person a leader is that they go through something first. So Nehemiah, feeling the pressure of the enemy around him, takes a stand, a personal stand, not even knowing that his personal stand would lead to a national stand. The Bible says that Nehemiah, it says, I prayed. That's what great leaders do. They pray themselves. They don't need somebody else to remind them to pray. They don't need other people to inspire them to pray. They just pray. Men, as the head of your household, or you ladies who are running your household, you're the spiritual leader of that house. You need to pray. Amen? You don't need permission to pray. You lead by example, by standing up and praying when the time calls for it. And so Nehemiah stood and prayed. Nehemiah went to God with his frustrations before he went to other people. Valuable lesson. Because too many times we tend to go to people before we go to God and we end up more confused than when we started because we went to man and not to God. When God said, you come to me first, I'll give you the solution. Then you can go tell all your friends what I told you and what you're going to do. You got to flip the script on that because too many of you will run to social media instead of running to almighty God. So Nehemiah takes a stand and he goes to God with his frustrations, his fears, his anxieties, his worries, his doubts. He goes to God first. The third thing we learned is that the builders had a great attitude. At this point, the Bible says that they were building the walls with enthusiasm. The New King James Version says that their mind was set on their work. They were focused 
and they were excited about what they were doing, right? Come on, how many of you know that's good? It's good to be excited about what you're doing. It's good to have your mind on your work and to be building what God's called you to build. Their attitude and their mind was good. And what was happening, the consequences of a good attitude and a focused mind was that the walls were already rebuilt to half their original height in almost no time. Without any complaining, without any murmuring, without any griping, they'd built the walls already halfway back up. Like they were halfway done with the work. But how many of you know, how many of you have been alive long enough to know that the halfway point is the critical point? (laughs) Yeah. They had a great attitude. But then the enemy became furious when he saw their production on the wall. Their success on the wall, he got, their enemies got furious. And it says they made plans. So number four, we, we learned that the plans of the enemy were to bring confusion. Boy, that's a timely word for today. The enemy of your soul is trying to confuse you about the direction for your life. He's trying to confuse you about who's the God of your life. He's trying to confuse the plans that God has for your life. To confuse means to mix up. So watch this. God will give you a word. He'll give you some direction for your life, and you'll set out on that course, and the enemy's just trying to bring in something to mix into that purpose. He just wants to throw something in the ingredients. Doubt, unbelief, distraction, discouragement, Always trying to confuse. The enemy's plan was to bring confusion, which ends up in disorder. And then the last thing we learned a few weeks ago was the builders took a stand. Remember, Nehemiah took a stand. The Bible says that I prayed. Well, it didn't take long after the leader took his stand that the people started to take their stand. And this is where the enemy gets really nervous. Because instead of saying, I prayed, the Bible says, we prayed. Say that with me, say, we prayed. We prayed means that all of us prayed. It wasn't just the leader praying, it was everybody praying. And they said this, we prayed and we guarded the city day and night to keep ourselves protected. Wow. Wow. So we we finished up on verse nine last week. (laughs) And man, verse nine is great. Like they, they the, the, the nation, like the, the, the people of Israel took a stand. Boy, I'm telling you, it's a good day when the church takes a stand. Not when just a few people take a stand, but when we take a stand and we guard and we protect and we trust God. It was a great Attitude. The wall was being built back up to half of its original height. But the enemy comes back stronger, doesn't he? In an attempt to confuse. You might ought to write this down. When the pressure rises, make sure your perspective rises. Because too many of us, when pressure comes, our perspective sinks. And this is the results. When pressure comes, your perspective, how you see things, sinks under the pressure. And there you find yourself discouraged, in despair, doubtful, depressed, ready to quit. Why? Because you didn't let your perspective rise above the pressure. My God, when he saved you, he gave you a new mind. He filled you with his spirit. You don't have to succumb to pressure anymore. You're called to rise above the pressure. So when the doctor gives you a bad report, don't boo day, get up on your feet and look at it from how Jesus sees it and declare the stripes of Jesus, bring healing to my report. Amen? Change your perspective. When the pressure rises, perspective rises. Come on. You've been called out of the world. The world succumbs to the pressure and they start complaining and they start speaking fear and they start speaking death. That's not you. You got saved. You got saved out of this world. 
You got given a new heart, a new mind. You're a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. You don't respond like the world responds. You don't, you don't react like the world reacts. You rise above it. Amen? Write this too. <laughs> don't believe everything you hear. Don't believe everything you hear. The enemy heard that the work was going ahead and it affected the enemy. The enemy became furious, the Bible says. And several times in chapter four, it says the enemy became furious. I don't know about you, but the devil's sure good at messing up my attitude. I sure wanna keep on messing up his, amen? Can we just declare and commit today to mess up his attitude? Can we just keep him furious today? How do we do that? By keeping on building. By when the pressure comes, rising your perspective up above. Amen? Keep him furious. But the enemy made plans. <laughs> and this is where we pick the story up today. I want to start in verse 10, and I call this part the struggle. How many of you would be honest enough to say, I sometimes struggle? Okay, I just want to make sure I was in the right church at the right time with the right people. I struggle. Verse 10. Remember, verse 9 was great. Verse 10, big word to start it off with. Big word, then. Back up to verse 9. Verse 9 started with but. How many of you know there's some good buts in the Bible? There's some bad buts in the Bible, but there's some good buts in the Bible. Verse 9 was a good but. The enemy put pressure, but they responded, right? And they did the right thing in verse 9, but then verse 10 starts off with then. Like what happened between 9 and 10? You ever wonder that sometimes? It says, then the people of Judah began to what? What was that? Who? The people of Judah began to complain. Listen to their complaint. The workers are getting tired. And there's so much rubble to be moved. We will never. Oh. 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 I'm going to come over here on this side. It feels a little safer. We will never. Have you ever said that? Have you ever declared that? Have you ever confessed that? We will never. Come on, get in a fight with your spouse. We'll never be a great couple. Not as long as you keep making those declarations, you won't be. We will never be able to build the wall by ourselves. Look how the enemy's working. He's getting them to complain. They begin to complain. A little bit of complaining goes a long way. A little crack in the door lets all the water and the wind come in. Just a little, a little bit of complaining. Mm, am I talking to somebody today? Just a little bit of complaining. Oh, I know what you're feeling inside. Mm. They began to complain, and then they got all the way to we will never. Wow. Wow. Side note, we will never buy ourselves. Ooh. You want to know when you're in a dark spot? Simple indication. When you start thinking and speaking, I'm by myself. You're in a dark spot because you've already forgotten that God is always with you. Their response in verse 9 was great, but 10 was not. I often wonder how this happens, why this happens. Come on. Have you ever taken a great stand? Like, that's it. I'm standing. God, I trust you. I believe in you to move in this moment. Ha! And you take a stand. And then two days later, your attitude and your perspective comes under attack. And before you know it, you're going, we'll never see it happen. Like, what happened? You ever wonder how you go from there to there? 
I have. You make a great stand and then you fail. Watch this. This is why God told me to preach this two-part series. Because this is where the church is today. But we're not going to stay at verse 10. Not as long as I'm your pastor. Not as long as we serve mighty God. We're not going to stay at verse 10. Not as long as we're filled with the Holy Spirit. Come on, somebody. So what do we do? What do we do to keep from being stuck in verse 10? The first thing you need to do is keep, you need to keep your confessions in check. Mm, mm, mm. You got to keep your confessions in check. You ever stop long enough to listen to what's being said around you? You ever, you ever stop at your house with all the madness of the kids or, or whatever it is, or maybe it's just you and your husband or you just you and your wife, and you ever just stop and listen to the confessions? It'll scare you. I learned one of the best parenting tips I can give you is you better listen to your children. You better listen to what they're saying. And you better be prepared to respond in a faith-filled way because if you don't, the enemy's gonna drag them away just right while you're watching. You'll be sitting there watching and the enemy will be dragging your children away. We gotta check our confessions because your confession comes from your experiences and what you believe. That's where it's come, that's where your confession comes from, either good or bad. So confessions are contagious, right? They can either build or they can destroy. Get around somebody who's a natural encourager and you'll find yourself lifted up. Get around somebody who's a, a, a natural complainer and you'll find yourself deflate, de, deflated, right? It's contagious. It's contagious to everyone who hears it, including you. Confession comes from inside. It comes from your experience. It comes from your emotions. It comes from what you're believing. That's where your confession comes from. You gotta anchor yourself in this. Your confession comes no matter what you say. It's coming from the condition of your heart. What's the condition of your heart? That's the question you really need to be asking. So when it comes out, it's a confession. And you need to ask yourself before it comes out, is this a confession of faith or is this a confession of fear? So if it comes from what's happening on the inside of you, then where do you need to pay attention? to what's going on inside of you. You need to pay attention to what you're thinking. You need to pay attention to what you're feeling. And you need to be ready to respond. But you know what happens? You know what we get caught up in? Is some of us don't like to deal with our stuff. Some of us don't like to stop, sit, wait, and listen to God help us deal with our stuff. He's a loving, caring God who will give you all the time in the world if you'll just give him some of yours. And if you'll stop and sit and talk to him and tell him how you're feeling, he will sit with you, he will meet with you, and he will help you. But too many times, we don't want to deal with it, so we become busybodies. We try to outrun it. We try to outlive it. We clean up everything three times just to not sit and talk with God. And people call us OCD and we go, well, I'm OCD. No, you're not OCD. You're running from God. You're running from your problems. You're running from your issues. You don't want to sit and let the loving God who loves and cares for you help you deal with what's going on inside of you. And then the whole time we're just steady making negative confessions. I recently did a thing. You want to know what it is? You'll be proud of me. I joined the gym. 
was about to say, the first service clapped, which I don't care about my health. I'm like, dear goodness, I'm not in shape. <laughs> Round is a shape, though, just for the record. I joined the gym, and I started working out. And I got a workout buddy, and we go work out. And when he can't show up or I can't show up, I'll go work out with my wife. I've done all kind of crazy stuff. Now, I came up through college football. I pounded the weights. I was as manly as you could be in the gym. I'm done with that. I do water aerobics. <laughs> the hardest thing about water aerobics is listening to all the things those women talk about. That junk will mess you up. I do things called body pump, core, cycling. And then I go pound the weights to get my manhood back. But I, but I started working out. And so, so my goal was to get up to three workouts a week. So week one, I did one workout. I'm not in a hurry, y'all. <laughs> week two, I did two. This past week, I got up to three. First two workouts, killed them. Like, boom, feeling good. Sore, but feeling good. Come on, you know what it's like. Like you're all amped up, I'm going, you know, you day one, you're pumping down, you look in the mirror, you're like, oh, I see it. I see it. It's just day one, first exercise, you ain't seen nothing. <laughs> but I got to my third workout this week, and can I be honest with you? My attitude was bad. First off, we, we decided to go work out in the morning. Not good. I used to be a morning person. I'm not anymore. I've graduated. So we're working out, and I don't even want to be there. And the guy I work out with, thank God he had a good attitude because he was like, he said, man, you know, bro, thank you, man. Thank you for coming to work out with me. You know, it's really helping me. I get, you know, it's, it's really helping. Thank you so much. And I'm sitting there like, oh, I don't even want to be here. And this is what I'm thinking inside. Like, I don't, I don't feel like doing this. I don't want to do three sets. I don't want to do 12. I don't, I don't, I don't want to put no more weight on. And I'm thinking this, and it finally comes out. And I start saying, bro, I'm done. I'm done, man. I'm done. I don't want to do no more. I'm tired. I'm tired. And I'm listening to my confession. It's just me and him talking. And I'm listening to my confession. And we get to the last set of the last exercise. And I didn't do it. I said, I'm done. Let's go get some breakfast. <laughs> it was good breakfast. It was eggs. My attitude was bad, my perspective got low, and my confession became negative. And ultimately, I didn't finish what I set out to do. You see how it works? The struggle. Your confession affects everyone who hears it, including you. And listen to me, just because you feel it doesn't mean you need to say it. Oh, you want me to say that one more time? Just because you feel it don't mean you need to say it. In fact, the people around you that are around you the most already know you're about to say it. And they're going, oh, please don't say it. Please. Oh, she's about to say it. Oh, my God. Here it comes. Y'all don't know what I'm talking about. Don't say it. Deal with it. Because here's the truth. It's better to deal with it internally than to deal with the consequences of letting it out. God, oh, did you see that? It's better to deal with it in here between you and God instead of having to deal with the consequences and the poison you just sprayed over everybody around you. Proverbs 4.23 says, above all else, like the greatest thing you can do is guard your heart. For, for everything you do flows from your heart. That's why forgiveness is so important. That's why forgiveness is so important. Because when you don't forgive other people, your heart starts to get hard. There's consequences that come with that. Guard your heart above all else. When I played football, we called, coach would call us a gut check. Come on, boys. He would see us slacking. Come on, boys. Gut check. Gut check. And the leader of the team would, come on, guys. Gut check. 
What are we trying to do? We're trying to encourage one another to dig in and push through and not quit. You can see it in basketball. You'll see one team running the score up on the other team, and the team that's getting the score run up on them, the coach will call, timeout, 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 right? Why? What's he trying to do? He's trying to break their momentum, and he's trying to get his, his guy's attention. Cut check. Check your confession. Amen? We need to get really good at squashing the negative attitudes that live inside of us. You heard? We need to get really good at squashing the negative attitudes that live inside of us. So that's the struggle. Verse 11 and 12, we see some more threats come. How many of you know the enemy doesn't quit? Meanwhile, while all this other stuff's going on, meanwhile, our enemies were saying, before they know what's happening, we will swoop down on them and and kill them and end their work. The Jews who lived near the enemy came and told us again and again, they will come and and from all directions and attack us. How many of you know sometimes you got to tell other Christians to shut up? Because this is their own people coming in there spitting poison, spitting negativity, bringing doubt and discouragement. You need to get away from those people. You need to confront those people. You need to tell them to shut up. You can say it nice. You need to hush your mouth. You just need to. My wife would tell me that. I'm like, what's that mean? It means zip your lip. The enemy keeps on threatening. You know the Bible tells us that if we'll resist the devil, he'll flee from us? How many of you know that to be true? How many of you have experienced that? How many of you exercise that regularly? Like when the enemy comes at you, you just go, Psh. come on, you tell other people, Psh. tell the devil Psh, that he's going to run from you. But it don't mean he's going to stay gone. Because the Bible also tells us that he sneaks back around to check and see if you're still guarding your heart. So just because you resisted him and he took off running don't mean you need to let your guard down because he's going to come back around. Amen? So the enemy throws more threats. Then Nehemiah gets caught up in reactions. I want you to see this in verse 13. So the threats come even from his own people. Nehemiah's busy building. So I placed armed guards behind the lowest parts of the wall in the exposed areas. I stationed the people to stand guard by families armed with swords, spears, and bows. Up to this point, Nehemiah has only been reactionary. God told him to go rebuild the walls. He reacts. He goes and he rebuilds the walls, right? Then the enemy causes a threat. Then he prays. Then the enemy plans more threats. Then they pray. Then the enemy throws more threats. And now he sets up guards. He's been living reactionary. How many of you understand that? That you live reactionary. You just wait for things to happen. And when they happen, you just react, right? How many of you know that ain't a fun place to live? How many of you know God never called us to live reactionary? He called us to live proactively. He's been reactionary, just reacting to what is going on as he experiences it. Doesn't this sound familiar? When COVID hit, reactions. Taking what hits us, reactionary, reactionary, reactionary. How many of you are at a place now where you're going, I wanted to use another word. (laughs) Forget the reactionary. It's time for me to be a little more proactive, right? Like I'm tired of getting told what to do. I'm tired of getting surprised by all this new stuff. It's time to start living proactively. You got to understand this today. We can't afford to live reactive anymore. We have to become proactive. We're living in a different time and a different season. Wake up. Wake up and pay attention to what's going on around you. We're closer to the end than we've ever been. It's more critical than it's ever been. The consequences are life and death. We're not playing. The enemy's not playing and God's not playing. We can't afford to live reactionary anymore. 
proactive. I wake up in the morning, I, I connect myself with God again, I get some instructions, and I go out that day, and I'm proactively building the kingdom of God. I'm looking for somebody with a heartbeat and an ear, just one ear, you don't need two, just one ear that'll listen to the gospel. That's what I'm living for today. I'm not living to go make a paycheck. I'm living to build the kingdom of God. He said, you build my kingdom, I'll build yours. So we can't afford to be reactionary anymore. So what do we do? Glad you asked that question. Nehemiah shows us in verse 14. Here's that word again. Then, then as I looked over the situation, let's pause right there for a minute. So his own people came and told him what the enemy was going to do. And once again, he's reactionary. He sets people in guard, which means he basically took half of his people that were building the wall and put them up against a threat or an attack or a rumor, and he put them up protecting the wall. Then... It says he looked around. In order to look around, you got to stop what you're doing. You got to pause life. You got to pause your plans sometimes to stop and look around. He was looking to see what his people were doing. What kind of condition are they in? How are they feeling? How are they working? What's their, what's their emotion right now? What's their confession? He was looking around. What's their confession? Then he's looking for the enemy. Where's this enemy at? This one I've been hearing about. Where's he at? And he's looking around and he sees no dust from a marching army. He sees no dust from chariots coming over the hill. He's looking around and he can't even see his enemy but he'd been hearing they were coming. And because he heard they were coming, he kept living reactionary. And it was just a rumor. It was just plans. The enemy never came. But he didn't realize that until he stopped long enough to evaluate the situation around him and then make a decision based on his own evaluation. That's free parenting advice right there. That's free marital advice. That, that, it's free. So. Notice that Nehemiah does something he hadn't done previously. He looked over the situation. Now, I did some exhaustive research for the word looked. I looked over the word looked in the Greek. Let me give you the best definition I can come up with. It means to advise self. Let that, let that sink in for a minute. To look over a situation is to advise yourself. To consider, to perceive, to observe, to discern, to distinguish. When you live a reactionary life, you never pay attention to what's going on around you. You just take what comes. I don't know about you, but I get sick and tired of that. I hate surprises, except good surprises. What happens with Nehemiah is what needs to happen with the church today. The church needs to stand up, pick its head up, look around and see the condition of the earth. See the condition of the people of the earth. See what the enemy is really doing and what he's really not doing. See how much of his threats are real and how much are just smoke and mirrors. Look around, see what's going on around you. That's what the church needs to do today. You need to ask yourself, Is what I'm hearing real or not? And then you need to look around and confirm it. When COVID hit, there was a lot and there is still a lot of misinformation going around. How many of you would agree? 
since the shot's been approved or created and then approved, there's been a whole lot of misinformation floating around. How many of you are sick of the misinformation? How many of you have been confused? How many of you don't know what to do? Yeah, so is most of the world. So COVID hits, misinformation comes from all directions. I'm trying, I feel the same call that Nehemiah has. I feel it with the church and you can go back and listen to all my, my daily devos. I was trying to push and challenge and encourage the church to keep going. Don't fall for this, it's smoke and mirrors, all this stuff. You can go back and listen to it. And I felt the same thing. And I came to the point where I was tired of hearing what I was hearing. I shut the TV off. I said, I'm doing my own research. I'm not the brightest bulb in the box by any means, but God gave me a brain, it's a big one, to think with. And he expects me to use it. In fact, I'm responsible to use my own brain, which means this, I don't listen to everything that I hear. Just because you got MD behind your name doesn't mean that you're G-O-D. Amen? I'll listen to you, I'll gather up your advice, and I'll consider it prayerfully, but I'm not just going to take hook, line, and sinker everything that you tell me. I went to my doctor for a full checkup, wanted to see if I was healthy. Did all the blood work, went in, he said, you're doing good. Of course, he didn't want to say it too much because I was overweight. They got to keep a little something against you, you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't take no medicine, I don't, I don't take nothing. And he's like, did you get the shot? I said, Psh, no. He's like, well, well, why not? You're, I'm like, what, I'm high risk? Well, yeah, you're high. I said, why am I high risk? You just told me my report was good. Well, well, well you're, you're overweight. I said, I'm not getting the shot. But, but why? I said, I already had COVID. How was it? He was scared to death. I'm like, you're a stinking doctor. You scared? He said, how was it? I said, I took a big nap. <laughs> I had a cough. I had a few other issues I'm not going to tell you about, but, but I had some issues. But I'm here. I'm still alive. Right? I did my own research. I started going to everybody I knew. Hey, how many people you know that have actually died from COVID? I'm like, personally? Yeah, personally. I don't, I don't know anybody. I go, how many do you know? I don't know anybody. I, mean, I couldn't find anybody that knew anybody that had died from COVID. Now, I know people were dying from COVID. But I know they wasn't dying like the media was telling me they were dying. Then I started asking, well, how was COVID for you? Oh, well, it was like this. It was like this. And I'm going, well, that don't sound like what I'm hearing. Come on. Come on. We're not sheep going to a slaughter. We don't just follow the other ones and go, bad. God gave you a brain to think with. He gave you a heart to process with. And he gave you the Holy Spirit to lead and guide you. Amen? Use it. I did my own research. I came to the conclusion. Yes, doc, I need to lose weight. I need to take some vitamins. My favorite vitamin is D. Because you can get it from being outside. Get healthy. If you're sick, quarantine yourself. You don't need somebody to tell you to stay away from other people when you're sick. Dear God, you already know you should do that. Right? Build your immune system. Dear goodness, God gave you an immune system to take care of anything you would ever face. We must never forget that God gave us a brain to think with and a heart to process with. Amen? After he looked around, he calls everyone to attention. I call this the snap out of its speech. I love the snap out of its speech. He called them out of fear he said to him three things. Don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord who is great and glorious and fight for your families. He called the nation to himself. Hey, come here, huddle, huddle up. Everybody huddle up. Y'all come here. Don't be afraid of the enemy. 
Remember the Lord who is great and glorious and fight for your families. That was his instructions. Watch what happens. Verse 15. I call this the frustrated enemy. When our enemies heard that we knew of their plans and that God had frustrated them, their plans, we all returned to our work on the wall. That one speech, that one moment when Nehemiah stopped to look around and to, and to determine the, the condition of the, the nation changed everything. Remember, the enemy had been furious up until this point. Now he's frustrated. Oh, this is getting good. He's frustrated. His plans have been frustrated. Never forget that God knows how to frustrate the plans of your enemies. He's good at frustrating the plans of your enemies. Amen? And that's what he does. I want to talk to you quickly about fear because he said this, don't be afraid of the enemy. There's two types of fear. There's a fear that leads to death and a fear that leads to life. Fear of the enemy leads to death. It's I'm afraid that he's going to take me out. I'm afraid it leads to discouragement. It leads to despair. It leads to depression. And also, it ultimately leads to defeat. We're not called to fear the enemy. We're actually called to fear, but to fear the Lord. Watch this. To fear the Lord is to have reverence, respect, and honor for how powerful he is. That fear leads to life and vitality. Come on. So instead of fearing what the doctor said, instead of fearing what media is saying, instead of fearing what your conditions are and what the enemy's trying to do, you need to have reverent fear for God who is able to break down anything the enemy's threatening you with. Amen? Because one leads to death and the other leads to life. So they return to the work on the wall, but this time it's different. This time they know they have an enemy, right? This time they're aware that he could attack at any time. They know their enemy is real. They know the consequences of rebuilding the wall are life and death now. Nehemiah brought it to their attention. So they're going back to work. They, they started enthusiastically, but this time they're going back to work seriously. Oh, you got to get this. They started enthusiastically. Let's, let's build the wall. Let's build the wall. Come on, let's build the wall. Let's build the wall. Now all of a sudden they realize they got an enemy. Now they realize all of a sudden the consequences of life and death and it's eternal. And that what God's called us to build is life and death for people. Amen? So they came back to work prepared and aware that there's a real enemy and that the consequences are great. The consequences are life and death. You see, what the enemy fears the most is your attentive heart. The enemy fears you being aware of his plans. He fears you being on the lookout for him at any moment, but he also fears you continuing to build. That's what he was trying to stop in the first place, right? Come on, truck with me. Hang in there. Push through. He fears an attentive heart, one that knows what's going on, one that's serious and one that's intentional. That's what he fears. He's frustrated. They go back to the wall to work fully aware but not afraid. And the last thing I want to show you in verse 17 and 18 is that we are builders. We are builders. God has called us to build. There is a real enemy, but there is a real project. The project is to build God's kingdom. He builds it through people that are surrendered to him and submitted to him. People that are willing to push everything into the middle of the table and say, God, I'm here, I'm yours, I'll do whatever you want me to do.
verse 17 and 18. The laborers carried on their work with one hand supporting their load and one hand holding a weapon. A little bit different than last time, eh? They had to go back to work a little different. One hand, I see it like this, one hand with a hammer and the other hand with a sword. Building, ready to fight. Watch this. It says, the laborers carried on their work with one hand supporting the load and one hand holding a weapon. All the builders had a sword belted to their side. Prepared, proactive. The sword, think about this. The sword strapped to their side, ready to be used at any moment. Their sword, right? That's what it said. It says their sword, a sword belted to their side at quick access, the sword. You know what your Bible's called? Your Bible's called the sword of the spirit. And you know what you're supposed to do? You're supposed to have this bad boy strapped to you. And when you got it strapped to you, when you got it in you, when the enemy comes, you're ready to pull it out and use it at any moment. Amen? So, so as believers, we need to get the word of God so deep and rich in us that it's strapped to us. So while we're building, if the enemy comes, swing, cut his head off. Ain't got time to play. We can't be lazy anymore. We can't be lethargic anymore. God gave us his word to study it, to put it deep in our hearts. You go to battle without your sword, that's your own fault. So they weren't standing around waiting on the enemy to attack nor were they running after him in some crazy way. I know people that get off into chasing demons and devils. God never called you to do that. I called you to build his kingdom. You don't need to worry about the devil. He's going to show up sooner or later. When he does, cut him off. We don't build by fighting. We build ready to fight. So we're called to build, and when a fight presents itself, then by God, fight. Come on, you hearing this this morning? A couple of practical things, I'm going to shut it down. I want you to leave today knowing this, because we're getting ready to go into the book of Acts, and we're going we're gonna to study the book of Acts. I'm going to hand you a binder next week with notes in it, paper notes, so that you can write down. I expect you to bring your Bible your paper Bible, leave your digital Bible in your pocket, knock the dust off that bad boy. It's time to get back to paper. We're going old school, baby. Digital ain't working, right? We're going old school with some paper Bible. I'm going to give you a binder with some notes in it. We're going to learn and we're going to study and we're going to take the book of Acts and, and bury it deep in our hearts and we're going to build our expectation for what God can do in this world today. Amen. So that's what's coming next. But I want to make it really clear to you what we're building or how we're building and how we're fighting. So here we go. Three things on building, four things on fighting. You ready? Number one, the way we build is by loving God with everything that we have. Jesus said it, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. That's what he said. Love the Lord with all you got. What does that mean? That means that I'm pushing in all my chips to the middle of the table. My whole life is yours. I'm not even going to build my own schedule anymore. I'm not going to schedule around you, God. You are my schedule. I'm not going to schedule you around me. You are my, you are my priority now. Like I'm pushing everything else out the way. I don't care if little Johnny gets to play golf or t-ball. I know I got picked on last time for t-ball, but so what? So if little Johnny can't play t-ball, he ain't going to die and go to hell because he didn't get to play t-ball. Change your schedule. We're living in different times. Change your priorities. God is my priority. That's how you love him with everything that you have. You wake up in the morning, you give him the first fruits of your day. Amen? You make him first in everything. You give him your best, and then you let the world have what's left over. Instead of giving the world your best and giving God what's left over, you seek him first, and in every area of your life needs to be found loving God. So we love God with everything that we have. 
Then number two, you love your neighbor as yourself. This is how we're building. We're building. Love God. This is the most important one. Love God with everything that you have because everything else is going to flow from this. Love God with everything that you have. Then love your neighbor as yourself, which simply means this. Be willing to do for others what you're willing to do for yourself. You, you should pray for people who need miracles, healing, and deliverance. We should never walk by somebody who has a need and not feel it. If God ran them in front of you, he called you and anointed you and resourced you to fill that need. Take what little bit of faith you got and apply it to their life and trust God to do a miracle or deliverance or healing, amen? We give them the best. Use your resources, your money, your things to help people. Encourage people. Go around and encourage people. Don't jump on the bandwagon of discouragement. Knock the wagon over. Encourage people. Walk up into a depressed crowd and say, hey, how y'all doing? Y'all all right? Well, y'all looking good today. Man, I'm excited. People look at you all cross-eyed. They need to look at you cross-eyed. You don't belong to the world no more. I ain't talking about being religious. I'm talking about changing the atmosphere that you walk into. So love God with everything that you have. Then you'll be able to love your neighbor as yourself. And then you'll be able to do number three, which is to go make disciples. I'm telling you right now across the globe, the capital C church is transforming. It's going back to what Jesus said to do before he left the planet. Go make disciples. He didn't say to entertain people. He didn't say to fluff people up. He didn't even say to motivate people. He said, go make disciples. To make disciples, you need to preach the good news. And when people respond, take them on the same journey you took. Teach them what you've been taught. Get them water baptized. Baptize them with the Holy Spirit. And teach them the word of God. You know who grows the most in a discipleship relationship? Not the one who's being discipled. The one who's doing the discipling. That person grows more than the one who's receiving. You want to grow? Find somebody to lead. It's revolutionary. Preach the good news. Oh, but Pastor, you know, I'm just, I'm not good at it. I get real nervous. It's okay, tell them nervous. Yeah, I'm, 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 a, little, I'm a little scared to tell people. Tell them scared. I don't care if your voice is going to tell you about Jesus. You start studying, they're going to listen real hard. Just tell them if you're scared, tell them scared. If you're nervous, tell them nervous. I don't care if your knees are shaking, just tell them. They'll quit shaking sooner or later. Just tell people the good news. In my life group this week, we're going through Romans and and John is in my life group and we, were in, we took the week and studied chapter one and we got together and we just shared what we got from chapter one and John had something that was phenomenal. In his, his studies, he realized that the Bible says in Romans one, it says that we're obligated to tell people the good news. So John took the time to study the word obligated and it means that we owe a debt. We owe a debt to other people. This is gonna change how you see preaching the gospel. We owe people the good news. If they got a beating heart in their ear to listen with, tell them the good news. Why? Because you owe it to them. You're obligated to it. You seeing it? It's going to change the way you think. Why? Because life and death is in the balance. I don't know about you, but I want to get to heaven. Now, when I get to heaven... I want to see all kinds of people. I even want to be surprised. People say, hey, <laughs> I'm here because of you. You told me. I'd be like, really? Like, who are you? You don't remember me? No. Thank you for telling me the good news. Because that's where it all starts, with the good news. You tell somebody the good news when they respond. Then you take them on the same journey you took. 
You teach them the same things that you were taught. And then it puts pressure on you to continue to grow. Discipleship. It's a big old wheel, and once you get it in motion, it's hard to stop. That's how we build. Love God, love your neighbor, make disciples. That's how we build. How do we fight? Here we go. Study the Bible. You've heard it all before, but don't shut me out. Study the Bible. Don't settle for just reading your Bible. Some of you have gotten real lazy. You just read, just to check a box. You're cutting yourself short. Study the Bible. Find out what it means. How does it apply to my life? Bury it deep down inside of you. And then whenever you need it, it's already there. Because it's hard to get it when you need it if it ain't in there. Come on. Study the Bible. Build your faith on his word. How many of you want more faith? Come on, show hands. You know how you get faith? Right here. This is where you get faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Study your Bible. Number two, pray. This is where most of your fighting will happen. Pray. And most of your fighting happens in your closet. Create moments for faith to be built up. Call things as though they should be, not as they are. You got a kid that's rebelling and running from God, don't pray for him as the prodigal son. Pray for him as the returned son who has a mission and vision and purpose over his life. Pray differently. Pray like it's already happened. And then worship. Worship has many faces. It's music. Sometimes worship is quietness. Sometimes it's rest. Worship is always obedience. Your favorite word? (laughs) Worship can be listening and it can be responding. Worship. So study your Bible, pray, worship. And here's the last way we fight, preach. And don't let me lose you. Preach, what does that mean? Simply put, Tell everyone that'll stand still long enough everything that God is doing in your life. Just tell them what God's doing in your life. You don't have to give them a verse and a reference. Just tell them what God's doing in your life. You'll be preaching. They're lost, they're dying, they're spiritually dead. You can tell them God answered my prayer and he fixed the cut on my arm and it'll revolutionize their life. Like my, taught my kids when they had a bobo. Like, we're not the only ones that pray. They pray. Come on, lay your hands on your bobo. Lord, heal my bobo. That's what we taught them. The Lord healed my bobo. Preach. Don't let the enemy confuse you. Don't let him overcomplicate it. Just tell people what God's doing in your life. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we just come to you today so grateful for Nehemiah's story. So grateful we get to see what real leadership looks like. Grateful to see how much you love your people, God. Spirit, I know you're in this room. Moving around these aisles. Speaking to us. Pray that we have ears to hear today. God, call us out of despair. Discouragement. Call us out of hiding. Call us into your glorious light. 
where the action is. Where we get to see you move. God, call us to the front lines. When we're hiding in the back. It's like you laid a burden on David's heart when Goliath was ridiculing you that same burden on our hearts today. God, we wouldn't just stand by and be passive. God, we'd be proactive, taking charge, building, preaching, praying, giving people hope and courage, calling others out of despair and darkness, calling the spiritual dead back to life building your kingdom, keeping the books open, names being written every day in the Lamb's book of life. Give us a new boldness to preach and a courage to stand in front of anyone and share the wonderful story of you in our lives. Share the power that you possess and the love that you generously give. Help us to stand in front of anyone and talk about how you can deliver anyone. Talk about your kindness and your gentleness. Talk about how you set the captives free. Help us to boldly stand in front of others and talk about how you're a redeeming God, a restoring God, a God who can turn things around how you're the healer, the protector, the provider. Give us a boldness like we've never known before. I pray over this church that God, you would start the work in us. Pray that something would shift in our hearts and our minds and we would say, Lord, here I am, send me, here I am, I'm sold out. That God, you would start a mighty work in every one of us. And I ask you, God, for a great revival to break out right here. That it would start right here in this little place called Eunice. That God, we would consider the times understand the seriousness of it all. The consequences are high. Life and death is in the balance. We've been called to advance your kingdom. Give us courage and boldness. already said. 
this morning.